Hello and welcome to Whatever It Takes. I'm your host, Corey Gaff, and on this episode, I'm talking to Robin Boudet. Robin was the first assistant on Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. And I really have to give him credit for laying the foundation to my assistant editor career as he literally taught me everything I know. And I remember first meeting Robin, I was a post-PA on Captain America Civil War, and they didn't have anywhere to put me. And since Robin was about to wrap out, they decided to just throw an extra chair in his room and that would be my home base. So I remember walking to his office and he just looked up from his laptop at me and said, wow, this is weird. And we've been friends ever since. So this is me talking to Robin Boudet. Here we are in the beautiful Los Feliz, months after releasing Endgame. Yes. Enjoying beers. I never know how to intro these things. It's because you fucking suck at this. (laughs) 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 That's one way to start a podcast. So I'm obviously here with Robin. The first assistant on uh, Avengers, former, former first assistant yeah, on Avengers no uh, Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. Mm-hmm. Um, two and a half years of our lives. Was it two and a half years? January 1st, 2017 till uh, April, May 2019. Wow. And we were in Atlanta all of uh, 2017. You a little bit longer. I came back in December of 2017, almost a full year. Yeah. And, uh, you came back a, bit, a little bit later, right? Yeah, I mean, I remember I went out there, I think, a day or two before they started shooting. So I think mm-hmm. I was there, like, uh, January 19th or something like that. Yeah, I was January 2nd for me, the yeah. day after New Year's. I'm like, bye-bye. Yeah. When you found out that you were getting this this job and you knew that you had to move to Atlanta for pretty much an entire year, I mean, what was going through your head at that well, time? Well, Jeff asked me to do it um, a few months before Civil War ended. And at the time, I was really burned out. And also at that time, um, I was not really partial to traveling because in the last five years, I'd probably been in L.A. for two of them where I actually live yeah. and maintain a home that mm-hmm. I like. Mm-hmm. So uh, it gave me. It took me a while to give them a real answer. I, I thought about it for months until finally we just couldn't wait anymore. And the more I thought about it, I was like, you'd be stupid not to take this opportunity. You just got to do it. I know you're going to be gone for a year. Just suck it up. Mm-hmm. And I did, and I'm really, really, really glad that I did. Because now, when I when I go on a movie and they're like, "You're going to be gone for three months," I'm like, "Okay, yeah." <laughs> it doesn't seem like such a long time anymore. Um, but yeah, it took me a while. He probably wasn't really considering anybody else. I mean, I'm sure he probably figured you you were going to come around. Um, I don't know. I don't know what his thought process was. I'm glad that he he picked. He asked me first. Mm-hmm. I, I felt very grateful for sure. Um, I mean, I've been seconding for him for. I started at Marvel on the first Avengers um, in April of 2011, and I did all of his movies after that. The only one I didn't do with him is Captain America, which is the first movie he did um, before he came on to Avengers. So I did Avengers, Iron Man 3, Captain America 2, Avengers Age of Ultron, Captain America Civil War. Um, He and I worked on Doctor Strange briefly, and then um, Infinity War and Endgame, so eight movies. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Two of them, I was his first, the rest second. So I'd hoped that I'd impressed him enough at that point <laughs> yeah. to take a step up, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, what was going through your head as far as like, okay, now this is actually happening. And we have, you know, we're about to start shooting in a couple days. I have, you know, well, I, had, I actually out. had three weeks before the shoot started. Oh, you did? So okay. I spent that first week setting up the offices with uh, Adam Cole, who's the post supervisor. And then uh, the Russo brothers asked Jeff to cut together a sizzle reel that they could show the actors to get them in the mood, uh, the tone of Infinity War, which is a much darker tone than all the other movies. And so Matt, Jeff, and myself uh, got to work on three different sizzle reels, and uh, we all gave notes on each of them. And oh, then, I forgot uh, about those. Yeah, so I, 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 was, I was working really long hours when yeah. I got, I thought it was going to be an easy start. But the first few weeks, I was working 75, 80 hours a week and coming in on weekends just to make those sizzle reels awesome because I knew the whole cast was going to watch them. I didn't want them to be dog shit. So um, that's how we started. But if you're asking what it was like for me, I mean, I was terrified for a number of reasons. The first one was um, I'd never done... I mean, I'd done a ton of big movies before, but I'd never done one that was shooting back-to-back like that. So I didn't know what that was going to entail. I didn't know if we were going to have enough people. 
I really didn't. I didn't know how much focus we were going to have to give to Endgame during Infinity War and all that. So that was terrifying to me. The second and most terrifying thing to me was that I'd never been a first before. And, you know, I kind of, I've kind of always had to learn trial by fire because my very first assistant editing job ever was Avengers 1. <laughs> and my very first first assistant editing job ever was Infinity War. So I've been wow. kind of thrown to the wolves a couple times and it never feels good doing that. But I feel like that's the only way to learn. You just don't you do you don't see the merits of doing that until you come out of the other end, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but those those first few months, and even you know even up to the finish, because the, the the beginning of the shoot and actual post production, the the post process are two very different parts of the film that require very different skills, and so both of those things were scary to me because even though I'd been involved with them in some kind of way, not in the way that a first is, so I just lived off fear like I always <laughs> do, basically, yeah. and anxiety. And, and is a big part of my life. And and when when did you feel that you you're like all right I got this? Or well, the, or I still feel like I have a lot to learn, honestly. Mm-hmm. But um, I felt my anxiety subsided a bit about halfway into the post end game because we'd already completed Infinity War, and I knew that I could at least pull it off. Maybe not better than some people can, but I could pull it off. Mm-hmm. And uh, I figured I is only going to get better from there. Yeah, I remember when, like, the first couple, I'd say, months when I arrived in Atlanta, the cutting room was just so tense. And I think it's just because of the the scale of the movie that we were working yeah. on. And just everybody knew what was in front of them. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy to think about a time when all of that was in front of us mm-hmm. instead of behind us. I remember Adam Cole, as soon as I showed up in the cutting room, he was like, there will be no jokes on this movie. We're, we got to take it seriously. Like, <laughs> we have a lot, to, a lot of work to do. And I was like, whoa. Like, no, usually you're, you're pretty... joking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Which, uh, that was something I wanted to bring up, is, is the infamous uh, uh, stink bomb. Stink bomb. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So before we get into that, it should be noted that I am not the kind of person that enjoys attending workplace functions. Mm-hmm. I usually tend to drink a lot in those situations because I'm not, I get uncomfortable when there's a lot of people around me. And I always end up saying something stupid or behaving in a way that I regret. So I tend to avoid uh, workplace functions. And I get a lot of shit for it. We'll go to, and I, oh, I fucking hate bowling. I'm terrible at it. I know this about myself. I do not enjoy it at all. So we'll get invited to bowling and I, I show up because I feel an obligation because we're all a team. And then I get shit for not participating. Okay. <laughs> I get shit for not uh, being involved with practical jokes because it's just not something I really want to do at work. You know, so this is years of, oh, Robin didn't take a joke and Robin can't do this and blah, 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 blah. So one day I decided, you know what, I'm going to get involved in this little practical scheme because Adam and Matt are always pulling practical jokes. And I didn't realize this, but they had an agreement that no matter what jokes they pulled on each other, they would never involve any kind of smell type prank, especially stink bombs. And I hadn't used a stink bomb since like high school. I didn't know how bad it really was. So I glued a couple stink bombs I got off Amazon to the back of the PA's uh, desk drawer, which and the PA was sharing an office with Adam. And I was just waiting for him to close it a little too hard to get the stink through. And uh, it never happened. I was waiting all day for someone to go, oh, it's terrible. So they went to lunch. I finally had enough. So I went in there and slammed his door shut. And immediately I go, like, uh-oh, this is going much further than I thought it was going to go. And uh, yeah, no one was really happy about that without going into too much detail. But yeah, it kind of caused a bit of a problem. <laughs> well, the funny thing was is that Matt had put a radish Yes. In the, another desk drawer of the, of the PA's desk. But he didn't know that you put in the stink bomb. Correct. And, and uh, you didn't know that you put in the radish. So right. immediately when Adam got so upset because our cutting room just smelled like sulfur, <laughs> yeah. he obviously blamed Matt because Matt is, you know. Because he deserves <laughs> to get blamed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then Matt was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this radish you know, yeah, is making that know what happened. is making this you know smelling this bad, and yeah, so and they just, were roommates at the time, by the way. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, they were. So, I've never seen Adam so angry in my life. He's one of the most fun-loving, genuine people. He can turn anything into a joke. Yeah, and even after I, I realized that, like, he didn't believe Matt when Matt was not when he was saying that it had nothing to do with me. It's not me. It's not me. So I went to tell Adam, "Hey, man, it was me. I'm so sorry. I was trying to apologize." And Adam was like. It was Matt. You're just covering for him. I'm like, oh my God. What am I going to do with this situation? What have I done? This is why I don't like getting involved with pranks. 
I never know what level to take it to. It always goes too far. <laughs> I'm just done with it. That was the last time I pulled a prank at the office, a substantial one anyway. Do you still have those stink bombs though? Like the bag? No, I left them in my apartment in Atlanta for the next tenant. Ah. It was the box. I had a huge box of them, dude. I had like 30 of them or something. So since you're bringing up your apartment, I remember your apartment was literally just, it was like a workout machine, right? In well, I knew, I knew from the get-go that we were working a ton of hours and we were probably be working weekends a lot. So I figured I don't need this apartment to be livable. But what I do need is a gym because when I don't work out, I feel like shit. Mm-hmm. And if I have to go to the gym after a 15-hour day, then it's just not going to happen because I don't have any energy. So I built a gym in the apartment so that when I got home, I could work out and go straight to sleep. Ended up being great. I ended up getting in really good shape, even though we were working crazy hours. But on the other end of that, I didn't have a couch. I didn't have a TV. Yeah, had, very, had, had, a very American a, psycho in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah everyone called me. Uh, Who was the guy from Taxi Driver? Oh, uh, uh, well, people can listen to this I know, right? yelling at the fucking screen. See, now we have to look it up. That's, yeah, look it up. This is going to be the power of editing where we just... You don't have to edit it. I like the awkwardness. Um, I thought it was... Travis Bickle. Right? Travis Bickle. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, Jeff was calling me Travis Bickle because I'd just go home and do you know, benching and squats and all this stuff. I had a power rack. Yeah. I had a power rack with everything I needed to do basic strength conditioning. Um, but yeah, all I had in that place was a mattress, a power rack, and utensils to eat and prepare food with. That's it. <laughs> and a little contraption. For a year. I shoots like a gun that. out of your, your jacket. My, my girlfriend, my now wife, uh, would come visit me and she would just be like, oh my God. How do you live like this? Because I'm like, because I'm never home. Yeah. I'm like the only when when we do have a weekend off, I'm out. I'm out and about because I love to go outside because I'm in an office all day. So I don't need this place to be livable. Screw it. You kind of landed in the de facto like Marvel apartment complex too. Yes. Well, Ant Man eventually was shooting there, and so was Black Panther. So all these people were staying in that in that uh, apartment complex, and because those shoots were only three or four months, it's like we would just see them come and go. Yeah. It's like we were long-term college people that didn't get out in seven years, and they were, you know, <laughs> yeah. graduating we super on time. Yeah. Well, that was also interesting working on this, or I guess the length of this uh, project was because we, we would see people come in, start their show, mm-hmm. or at least production in, in uh, and principal leave. photography, and then just leave. And we're yeah. like, we still have like eight months to go. Yeah. It's insane. And then yeah. that movie would come out, and we're like, oh, my God, we're still yeah, like we in post. 190-something shoot days, I think. Don't quote me on that. It was around there. It was a lot. I mean, the most shoot days I'd done before that was like 96. And those are usually the the Avengers movies because of the huge cast. And it's crazy because, at least for me, it was my first experience. Start to finish. Start to finish. So I didn't really know any better. So I'm just like, all right, you know, we still have nine months to go. Plus for you and me, it was almost like perfect timing because, you know, we're young we're single we don't really have or at the time we were quasi single but it's like we we don't really have these responsibilities of like a family and all this stuff right so at least i consider that time in my life to be pretty amazing because we basically worked hard and played hard right you know like we worked insane hours but then we lived in the city of atlanta and we would just go out on the weekends and just you know have a good time right if I, you know, had my family back home in LA, I could see I would be not that great of an experience. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people in an industry generally get divorced or yeah. uh, aren't very good parents or have some kind of familial family problems back home, mm-hmm. and it's all due to the travel. That you're never around. You're not going to be a good father. You're not going to be a good mother. You know, it's hard. You yeah. have to be present in a kid's life at least a good part of the time, or they're mm-hmm. not going to even see you as a parent. I know a lot of children that call their fathers by their first name oh, yeah. and not dad. You <laughs> yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. That's a real thing. Yeah. So. Also, we had the choice of either staying near Pinewood Studios, which was in Fayetteville, mm-hmm. Georgia, which uh, is kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Right. Or we had the opportunity. And it sucks, by the way. I don't mind. <laughs> hey, Georgia, Fayetteville sucks. I don't hey, mind saying that. Star of India was pretty good. Oh, great. You have one <laughs> restaurant. Congratulations. The rest of it sucks. But you could also get a housing allowance and, and move anywhere you wanted. Correct. So there's a handful of us that moved out to the city of Atlanta, right. which I highly recommend. I'm a huge Los Angeles mm-hmm. fanboy. Mm-hmm. I love it here. But there's two places on this earth that I've traveled and lived to lived in for a long period of time where I thought I could actually live here. One of them is Berlin, and the other is actually Atlanta. Atlanta is a really cool place to live. Except for the weather. The weather is the one point where you're just like, oh, could I really tolerate this year round? I don't know. 
California has pretty unbeatable weather. Well, what I loved about Atlanta was that it was, uh, you kind of get that big city vibe, you know, because there's so much going on, because it really is like, uh, you know, the new Hollywood, because so much stuff is being shot there, Mm -hmm. and there's so much happening and so much development, but it still has kind of a smaller city feel as well. Yeah. So you're not completely overwhelmed like you are in LA, you know, because LA is just so huge. And that Beltline is unbelievable. Oh, the Beltline is amazing. They have this giant uh, concrete pathway that creates a belt around Atlanta city and you can walk along it all day and hit up every restaurant and bar and people are out on their bikes and skateboards and uh, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's kind of like, Oh, just meet you on the belt line. We'll go from there, you know? So now you're getting your sea legs as a first and you had Hector and I as your seconds Mm -hmm. and we're pretty green. Yeah. I remember in the very beginning you were tasked with showing us how to prepare dailies for Jeff. I was tasked with learning my own job and at the same time teaching you your jobs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this is, uh, pro- you guys are proof positive to always hire ambition over experience because someone that really wants the job, they can learn everything else. Yeah. But someone that has experience, if they're burnt out and they don't want to be there, it's not worth it. It's not yeah. worth it. So yeah, it took a month or two for me to guys to, for me to get you guys up to speed, but I wouldn't change that crew for the world. That was the best crew we've ever had ever, hands down. To that end, you're asking me, how do I manage a cutting room? Uh, hire really good people that know their shit, and you don't have to manage anything. Once it's set up, everyone knows what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And, if there's some, and, the, and you, you have to create an environment where they can ask questions. So if there's something that comes up where they don't know what to do, they should feel comfortable to approach you and ask that question. Yeah, I, I, I've always lived on this principle that if someone is not sharing their knowledge with other people, then they're a one-trick pony. They know deep down that if they, that's the, all they've got going for them is that one piece of knowledge that they're keeping from everybody else. If you're a real professional and someone that really knows their shit, you should have no problem sharing that information with other people. Mm-hmm. I remember I, I developed this script that renamed uh, DPX files based on their folder name, and it was so easy to do. It was literally like this really easy language expression that came out of this really awesome tool from a company called Many Tricks called Name Mangler. And it took me like three hours to figure it out. And the VFX department heard about this and like, well, we'd love to buy this off of you and we'll give you, just come up with a dollar amount. And I remember thinking like, you guys, it's here, just take it. Like you gotta yeah. have that share with people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's not, you, you don't wanna uh, create a proprietary, um, shield over information that really isn't that big a deal right you know what i mean i'm going off on two tangents right now but you you have to be willing to teach people if you're not then you're hiding something and you're probably not that good at your job well i feel that after learning how to prepare dailies you really went in and like were very adamant about um the details as far as like checking all the metadata and making sure all that information that's my bread and butter yeah i mean i i from day one my, I, I worked in film, telecine for a bit, uh, and then I worked at Photochem for three years doing right when Red Digital Cinema was our thing. Mm-hmm. And we had to come up with creative ways to do tapeless workflows. And that was really my job was developing workflows for, uh, for films that were shooting tapeless, which was a new thing back then. And it just kind of translated into dailies, and then dailies were my bread and butter for years from the beginning, from, two, from about uh, mid-2008 till uh this show was you know eight years um i was doing nothing but dailies so yeah. that obviously came in handy because i mean how many units were going you had main unit second main unit, unit second unit c camera quite often uh mocaf which was basically its own shooting its own feature at the time <laughs> that was a ridiculous and the problem with mocap is they're shooting on these rinky deep cameras that don't hold time code well and uh you have to group witness camera which yeah and i always live on the policy of don't come at the camera department's got enough to worry about don't go after them going your time code's not right and this and that if it's something you can fix and get through just fucking do it you know (laughs) don't waste everybody's time like they're not going to upgrade the whole camera system and look into getting a new time code generator for you like stop whining and just do it we'll fix it so now that these movies are behind us Uh uh-huh how do you feel how do I feel? Well, I've, it's been April, May, June, July, August, September. It's been almost six months for me. Uh, I'm completely separated from it now. 
I don't even think about it. I mean, I, I went I went straight to Thailand with my wife uh, so we could finally celebrate our honeymoon almost immediately after the movie was over. Yeah, it wasn't even released. Right, the premiere was happening while we were there. And um, I was gone for three weeks, and by the time I got back, I was just like, I don't even feel it anymore. It used to, I and mean, there's been some movies that were so hard that it took me months to decompress. Uh, Ultron was one of those. Um, Iron Man 3 was one of those. Um, but also because I started... Winter Soldier a weekend after I mean three ended. Um, and that's the unique thing about Marvel is that, was it like three movies a year that they release? At the time. At the time. Yeah. So it's like there's a good chance that once the job that you're currently on ended, that there would be another movie starting right up like yeah. the next week. We had quite the run. I, it's kind of an unusual thing that our team did, which was have uh, an, Jeff a nine movie run and his, our team, I call it, because our team kind of came together with me, Matt, and Jeff on, on uh, Avengers 1. Uh, for eight movies straight, which wow. is like kind of a... It's really unheard of. Yeah. I mean, to have that same crew throughout all those years. In some pretty, respect, yeah. yeah. There was... Oh, Doctor Strange, uh, Jeff and I were only on for a few months. Um, I came on actually before him, and then he came on to help a bit. Um, but yeah, in some way, shape, or form, that crew has been one movie to the next, to the next, to the next. What's my, your favorite Marvel movie that you worked on? My favorite movie to work on was Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. I think I'm, Winter Soldier was really fun because I, I feel it was just like unlike any other Marvel movie I'd ever seen. It felt like a old spy thriller, and it was just really fun to work on. Um, it was really easy to work on because they cut off our OT, so we weren't really working that much. The shoot was straightforward. We didn't run into a lot of problems in post. Um, yeah, it was it was a huge change from the two movies I'd done before, which were really hard. And I feel like within the the Marvel community or the people who work at Marvel, Winter Soldier is everybody's favorite. I agree. Yeah, it's what put the Russo brothers on the map. Oh, that's right. Was that their first first Marvel movie? First Marvel mm-hmm. movie. Did you have any like? What was there a time that you're like, oh my god, kind of felt the pressure of it all, or was that the whole time? Um, like overwhelmed. The last time I felt extreme pressure on a movie was twice during the finish of Iron Man 3, which is absolutely brutal. And uh, the, sh- the shoot of Ultron was devastating to me because I was working at Shepperton. I was getting there at like eight in the morning, doing dailies to like one, driving two hours to Hendon, waiting till the shoot wrapped uh, so I could play dailies at night. And I was driving home, leave, usually leaving set between 9.30 and 10 at night and getting home at like 11.30 at night, day after day, seven days a week for months. And that just will catch, it'll catch up to anybody. Once, you, once you've done this enough times, it's all just kind of things that used to bother you just start bouncing off of you. you know, so. so really that experience kind of helped you yeah, prepare for sure. For, I mean, don't get me wrong. Know. I was stressed out a lot on these movies, but I didn't feel that overwhelming uh, sense of dread that yeah. you can get. Well, the one thing that like I was always impressed with is is when it came down to a friends and family screening, because the amount of pressure when we're preparing, I feel like you just handled that so well. Well, the big difference between me and most people is I understand the technology to a degree that I trust it much more than other people. A lot of people are like, oh, what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? And I'm like, yeah, it could go wrong, but we have enough time in between the run through and the actual screening to fix it. So I don't feel that pressure that most people feel. And also the assembly of the mix down, which can get kind of intense because you're doing last minute changes and it's got to be frame accurate on everything. Yeah. Do you want to just describe what goes into being sure when a a friend, friends and family comes up? Basically, we're, we're showing the movie to a recruited audience. Right. So Jeff and Matt, the night before a friends and family screening, usually work very late. Between They won't get out till 1 or 3 in the morning. I come in at anywhere between 4.30 and 5 a.m., and I mix down the whole picture to one stream so that it can play through a theater without uh, lagging or, or holding up. Once it's mixed down, Jeff comes into work again, Matt comes into work again, and they're updating all of the shots uh, they're checking the mix downs, and then we're making audio patches and picture patches all the way up until around six o'clock, which is about an hour before the movie starts. During this time, we'll have watched it all the way through during a run through, and they'll decide what changes they want to make, and they'll be updating all the shots from postviz, from VFX, and uh, making sound changes. And we're doing that all the way up until the wire. So you have to come up with creative ways to keep the drive updated, to keep the laptops going, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, because you have to copy the media to a laptop that you will then you transport to You have to update to the, the mix down sequence. You have to update the media on the laptop. You have to get it loaded on the computer in the uh, screening room. 
and you have to check all the patches back. Mm-hmm. So over the years, I've just come up with good workflows to make that happen. And uh, I don't get stressed out with those because I have faith in the workflow and I have faith in the technology and it's never really, fa- really failed me. Yeah, because then you're sitting in a theater with like, you know, was it 50, 50 to 70 people mm-hmm. and then you literally just press, you know, the space bar right. on the computer and yeah. and then the movie's playing and, and, and then know, you just got to hope that everything I'm, worked I'm out. I'm very fortunate that I have... Um, a strong background in computer technology and I don't get freaked out when problems come up. The The one screening I was in, which unfortunately was a really big screening, I won't name names, but a very big screening for some very important people. The Avid froze like with 15 minutes left in the movie and uh, it just stopped playing back. There was no error message, nothing, just completely froze. So I think most people in that situation would panic, but I literally turned the computer off, turned it back on, realized that there is an Avid application manager thing running, and since the computer didn't have internet access, I knew it was probably running and trying to reconfirm the software, so I quit it. I opened the uh, Media Composer back up and played the rest of it out, and I didn't even think it was going to freeze again, and it didn't. You know, A lot of people don't know those things, so they panic a lot more than I do. That's why you, know, you don't see me stress out about those kind of things. The, the one error that also happened was a user error with the space bar. Mm. When <laughs> Thank you, Corey. <laughs> Uh, yes, one night, um, so I injured myself, uh, pretty badly at the gym and, uh, I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't even sit down. So I took a couple painkillers and I was feeling a little loopy and I accidentally hit a space bar while we were, uh, uh, having an audience roll in during a thing. I think Matt was sitting next to you in the theater and yeah. you were just trying to, I was trying to have a conversation with Matt and my elbow touched the space bar and it played for like three seconds and I just rolled it back. It didn't even get anywhere into the Marvel logo. It wasn't, did people was this, react? People looked up and then it stopped. They're like, okay, because the curtain wasn't even open. So this, the image oh, was playing okay. over the curtain. People were like, all right, whatever. There's no different, you know, it's just embarrassing more than anything. I don't think I hurt anybody. Sorry guys. <laughs> I wasn't on my best behavior that day. You just got called Spacebar for a little bit. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I will continue to be called that for the rest of my life. <laughs> so Endgame's released. Mm-hmm. To see the audience reactions, mm-hmm. I mean, I was just blown away. Like, I, I, that was the first movie that I've worked on that I actually went to the theater and paid, like, paid a mission. Even though I've seen the movie a thousand times, it was literally, I wanted to be in the theater with people who sure. have never seen it and have that experience because people were just going nuts. So... I was in uh, Thailand on my honeymoon when the movie got released, and I was very fortunate that a lot of people were recording the audience reactions in the theaters, and a lot of YouTubers were putting compilations of people's reactions. So uh, you'd, you'd only hear the audio because they couldn't get away with recording the screen, and they'd have text going, this is this moment. It'd say, this is where... Uh, Cap kisses Peggy or whatever, and then you hear the audience reaction over it. So I was watching all these compilation videos, and I was like tearing up. I was crying because I didn't I didn't realize it at the time. But when you get wrapped up in finishing a movie, you forget that what you're really trying to do is elicit a response from an audience. And when I heard all those responses, it was like validation for all of the hard work we'd put into these films. And I was just I mean, my wife was there with me, and but I'm going. <laughs> Like watching these compilation videos, like what's wrong with me? But yeah, it's a really rewarding feeling. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was like I went to the Chinese theater in Hollywood, and it's like I was wearing my Avengers hat, and of course, people are like, "Oh, cool, where'd you get that hat?" And I'm like, "Well, I worked on the film," and they're like, "People shaking my hand." Yeah, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" I didn't realize that it it affected people that much. People love it. One of my favorite things during these movies is when the trailers come out, there's a bunch of people who make trailer reaction videos. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. some of them are fake and hammed up and obviously just for YouTube points, but some of them are genuine and you're just like, oh my God, there are so many fans of this material. This is pretty cool. And you feel like you're a part of something much bigger than yourself. Yeah, and now the fact that it is the number one highest grossing movie in the world is pretty crazy too because, I mean, I just think back to when, you know, you're just in the thick of it and you're like in the middle of, you know, Atlanta Mm -hmm. in Fayetteville and you're trying to make it from stage six to stage five because mm-hmm. the Russo brothers want to see something on your laptop yeah, right. and you're like, you're just completely overwhelmed and now the results are, are very gratifying. Right. You know? So that, that was just something that was really, uh, I, I didn't even think about it. I didn't even have time to think about, but it was a, a You don't great know surprise. you're going to feel that way until you actually feel it. Yeah. You know, when you finally feel that, that, that audience reaction to something that you had a hand in delivering, it's awesome. It's an amazing feeling. So, 
obviously you're into the tech side of things. Yeah, um, I based my whole career off of it. Yeah. I just wanted to talk to you about how that started for you. We, we, when you we're were a very up. nerdy family. Well, yeah. at least me and my dad are anyway. Um, he was an online editor uh, in the 80s and 90s, also an offline editor. Um, but he's always had a, a foundation in technology. Yeah, I think I remember you showed me like a home video of, of yours. You, it was some like short, some horror short that the was shot in your house. Yeah, it was in third grade. And I remember you had like uh, some kind of like an Elise system poster yeah. in your room. And you were very, you were, I had a you were like giant, six or something. Or like, I was in uh, third grade. Yeah, you're in third however grade. old you are in third grade. I forget what the name of that system was, but it was it was actually an effects controller for a, uh, a live switcher. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, we actually edited that. We shot that movie on eight millimeter video and we ingested it at Sony in, uh, Holly in, uh, Culver city. And we edited it there on a giant. That's pretty system. cool. I yeah. mean, to, to have access to that oh, kind of cool. official. And that's what got me into it. Yeah. That, 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 that introduced me to editing. That was what, uh, fostered my love for it. And then when I was 15, we got a dual G four 500 Mac tower which at the time was over three grand. <laughs> and by today's standards, it's, it's unusable. But that's when Final Cut and iMovie were uh, finally coming to the table and they put that power in everybody's hands in a very easy to understand way and it kind of took off from there. You said your first job was on Avengers 1. First in, assistant. In, first assisting job. job, yeah. I was a, I st- well, going back to Laser Pacific, so mm-hmm. I'll just tell you the whole chain of events. Yeah. So, uh, in August of 2007, I interviewed for a PA job at Laser Pacific. And in the process of that interview, they realized, oh, this guy's a huge nerd that knows a lot about telecinian tape machines from growing up with my dad. They're like, you know what? He'd be better suited in a, in a higher role. And I was like thinking to myself, there's no way I can handle whatever it is they're talking about. I don't know as much as they think that I do. And then I realized it was really just a ploy to get me into this nighttime position that no one wanted. <laughs> Called, you know, I was a telecine operations supervisor, but it paid like seven fifty a week salary, right out of college. You know, mm-hmm. and for me, that was you know the most I'd ever made in a year was maybe five grand at some dead end job. So I was happy to take the job. And uh, three to four months into that job, the writer's strike happened. I think it was three to four months, um, and we lost a lot of work, and uh, people were getting laid off left and right, and I started doing other people's jobs, like uh, telecine assistant work. And then when the shows came back, they needed telecine assistant. Like, oh, Robin knows what to do. Make him a telecine assistant. So I did that. And then uh, Laser Pacific was starting to fail as a company. The writing was on the wall. So I started looking for other jobs. And uh, Photochem picked me up as a telecine assistant. I worked as a telecine assistant on a show called Couples Retreat for Universal. And then when that was over, uh, they put me in this department called the Next Lab. Uh, it was run by Tom Vice. The next lab. The next. <laughs> it's what's next. It was actually really cool. Um, it was run by a man named Tom Vice, uh, who still works there, actually. And uh, one of the owners of the company, Mike Broderson, who's a great dude. And uh, my job was basically to come up with workflows um, for tapeless cameras, which were a new thing back then. Red, Alexa, all of those types of things. And learning that stuff was invaluable because most assistants didn't know how that stuff worked at the time. So when I got called up to do Avengers, um, they needed someone that knew that stuff, and I was there. So, and didn't you meet um, was it Bruce, the, the the head of Post at the time? Like- the head of the Post at that time was a guy named Peter Mavra, Peter Mavramatis. Um, But that's not how. What? what ha- All right, you want to really get into this? So, like I said, I'm a nerd and. Over the last three years, I've been learning how to use Media Composer after being a Final Cut guy for a really long time. And uh, I wrote an email to Avid saying, here's everything that I love about Final Cut, everything I love about Avid, and here's everything I hate about Final Cut and everything I hate about Avid. And uh, they wrote back and they asked me how old I was, and I told them I, I was I think I was 25 at the time. They said, well, you know, we'd like to interview you for this promo piece we're making for to play at colleges because I was the right age and all that stuff. So I go in for an interview and I tell them all the same stuff I wrote in the email, everything I love, hated, all that stuff. Obviously in the promo video, it's only I love, 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 right? So that comes out and I'm a little 
you know, I, sh- I don't know what I was expecting. I should have known that that was going to happen. But, you know, I was kind of young and naive and I was kind of like, damn it, guys, come on. Like, you're making me look kind of foolish because uh, you didn't put in my counterpoints. There was actually people that blew up on Twitter, like, this Robin Boudet thing is so stupid. I remember I had Google Alerts at the time for my name in case something came out about me because I'm, I'm one of those people that always lives in fear that I'm going to end up in a video on the internet because <laughs> I say things that are kind of crazy sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this alert says, comes up and says, this Robin Boudet controversy is kind of ridiculous. I'm like, controversy? What the hell is this? And it turned out it was like a whole slew of editors complaining about that video. So I wrote to Abbott, like, come on, guys. Can we do something like this? Like, well, it's kind of too late. But hey, listen, we we were, you know, kind of intrigued by your tapeless workflow knowledge and stuff. We kind of want somebody like that on the ACE Advisory Committee, which is now the Avid Customer Association. Would you want to come in? And I called uh, another family member of mine named Steve Cohen, um, who's a film editor and an Avid, uh, real an Avid guru. He's probably the Avid guru. I said, what do you think? I come on board? He's like, yeah, you should come on board. I'm there. And there's a whole bunch of really big editors and, you know, it'll be good for you. I'm like, all right, that sounds great. So I go in there and the very first day, uh, a huge editor named Paul Rebell was asking me about the tapeless workflow stuff. And he goes, would you like to be, we need someone like you to be an assistant that knows this stuff because we're shooting Avengers on Alexa and they'd never shot that camera before. I said, "Uh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Like I've been, I've been waiting to get in a cutting room forever. I didn't know what the Avengers was. I'm not a comic book guy. Um, so when I'm waiting for the uh, interview to start, I'm looking around. There's all these Marvel posters. And I'm like, what is this? So I look up the Avengers on IMDb. And it turns out to be like the biggest movie ever made. I'm like, holy shit. And I got the job. Nice. Yeah. And then that was your first uh, cutting room experience. First time ever in a cutting room. Yeah. yeah. And I remember you telling me that you didn't really understand the, the etiquette yet. I had no idea how a cutting room worked in terms of politics or chain of command or any of that stuff. When, when you're on the uh, ACE Advisor Committee, there was this group you could email to, and it would shoot out an email to everybody in the group saying, and it was usually people going, hey, does anyone know how to do this with the Avid? And he would send those out, and I knew the answers, and he was just across the hall from me. So I'd just walk in there and be like, hey, you want to know how to do this? Uh, here, I'll show you how to do that. And uh, yeah, not something you want to do in a cutting room. <laughs> I learned quickly, though. Being on that committee, is that why they reached out to you for that, that other video that you guys did? Uh, I think it was on, was it Age of Ultron? The one that that Jeff no, was they did. On they shot that. that while we were on Iron Man three, and it was about the first Avengers. No, that was something Jeff hooked up. I'll never forget when that video first came out. I was kind of obsessed with reading YouTube comments, and you should never do that. Uh, the very first comment on that video was, "LOL, I didn't know the Avengers was edited by douchebags." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think we printed that out. Or yeah, you, you we, printed had, out. we had it printed out in the cutting room as a joke and hung it on the wall. It's pretty funny. So since you've worked on all these Avengers movies, I have mm-hmm. to ask who your favorite Avenger is. Who's my favorite Avenger? What do you mean? <laughs> like, who's your favorite Avenger? Do you have like, do you, for any particular reason? Yeah, like, like if you like, who's my favorite person to work with? Who do I think is the best actor? Like, you mean like just as a superhero? What do you mean? I, mean, I think I'm making this more complex than I it think is. you are, but it's yeah. okay. I mean, if if you have your favorite actor who plays an Avenger. You know, I've never thought about this once. Stumped him. I've never, I've never sat down and gone, oh man, Thor is really the shit. Like I've never, <laughs> I've never thought about it. Well, like I, just, I like, don't get me wrong, I like these movies, but I'm far from a comic book fanboy. Right. I've never read a comic book in my life. Um, I guess uh, the you Hulk. Could, you like the Hulk? Yeah. You're a Hulk guy. Yeah, because he's a nerd, but he like he gets to do roids. He's basically <laughs> a roided out nerd. That's what I want to be. I just, if anyone has a line on some testosterone, let me know. Thanks. And, and Smart Hulk. I, I feel, do you like Smart Hulk? <laughs> That's such a dumb question. Do I like Smart Hulk? <laughs> yeah, he's so cool. Well, you are wearing a green shirt today. This is my so. Peter Pan costume. You'd be proud of me. I picked this up for five bucks in Atlanta. Really? Yeah, it's Corey's special. At H&M? The only difference is I didn't keep the tag on it to take it back later. <laughs> Hey, I I still think that's a... I'll just explain. Yeah, please. So we're very fortunate at Marvel that they invite people who are in post to the premiere, which I feel like does not happen at any right. other studio. Correct. Um, and it didn't. It only started happening... Uh, Iron Man 3 was the first one. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's great. So we've been to a few premieres, mm-hmm. and I don't own a suit, and I don't want to spend money on a suit. So with Amazon, you can just buy a suit... Wear it the one day, 
mm-hmm. and then return it, no questions asked. Right. And it's great. But I've been called the worst human ever by somebody because of that. And I don't, I I don't think it's that severe. Listen, I am all about frugality. I'm all about minimalism. I really am. But you're living in like college ramen days frugality. You don't need to do that. I just you're, think you've, it's funny. You've made it, Corey. You've landed. No, I There's understand. There's certain things you don't have to concern yourself. To me now, time is more important than anything. And the time it would take me to send it back is worth just keeping it for. I mean, I, I know eventually I'll just buy one, but I think because I know that I can do it is why I'm doing it. Mm. So like if I returned a suit and Amazon was like, no, we're not going to return this. Mm-hmm. Like we're sending it back to you. Then obviously I would stop. But the fact that they don't say anything, it's like, well, then why not? Right. You know, I like buying myself treats after a show. Do you do that? Like a little congratulatory. Treat? Yeah. Yeah. Basically just turns out to me spending a lot of money on like records or something like that. Yeah. or Something that you don't need. Something you want. Did you buy a watch at one point? Yeah, I'm wearing it. Yeah. Was that like, is that the 10 grand one? Was it 10 or 20? This was $20,000. Good yeah. Lord. Yeah. Good Lord. I mean, it's a this, nice looking watch. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is an Audemars Piguet uh, Royal Oak. And it's one of my prized possessions. I love these things. People always <laughs> go, why would you spend that much money on a watch? Well, because I like watches, okay? Stay away from me. And what was the story? It wasn't a... <laughs> You bought it during like a layover, right? It was like a four-hour layover. No, that was a different watch. Oh. Yeah. That was the four-grand watch. That was four-grand, yeah. Everybody, (laughs) nobody knows anything about my watches except how much they cost. It's really frustrating. (laughs) There's so much artistry and history in these watches. People go, oh, is that the four-grand watch or the 20-grand watch? (laughs) That's all they care about. That's our reference point. So you go, when you see, someone buys a nice car, you go, is that the $60,000 car or the $15,000? Like, it's just watches that inspire that in people. I don't get it. Or jewelry, I guess. Oh. Well, I feel like you have to be a watch person to understand, like, the details of it. Like, for instance, you just named the watch and it kind of went over my head. But if you... Okay. Corey, I want you to look at the back of this watch. Okay. I want you to feel how perfect this bracelet is and think that that was made by somebody. Yeah. That's a work of art. And it's an engineering marvel. So this is the 20 grand watch. That's the $20,000 watch. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. You bought a townhouse after Infinity War. Was that well, considered a treat or was that just... No, that was always part of my plan was to eventually own a home. Um, I, well, I, let's, let's circle back for a minute. So at, after Iron Man 3, I'd been working so much and having no time to spend money on anything that I had a giant chunk of change to drop on a condo in the Arts District. And at the time, Arts District was still up and coming. There wasn't a lot around there. And that place over the five years that I lived there ballooned in price. And I sold it at a huge profit and parlayed that plus some of the money I made on Endgame into buying a house, which if anyone's tried to buy property in LA, it's expensive. Yeah, I think you were telling me that like you would go to see houses and you try to put in an offer. And someone then, would counter you. Somebody would counter, but yeah. they just have like straight up cash. Yeah. You know? The guy who owned my house before me paid cash and bought it for like, I think it was $1.125 million in cash. And I'm just like, what? Like, there's so many of those people out there. There's a lot of rich people. He probably has a twenty grand watch. He's probably wearing a twenty thousand dollar watch yeah, while he's putting down a million dollars in cash. Yeah. <laughs> Except his had diamonds on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you were in like, you, didn't you go in escrow in one house, and then you had to get out of escrow, and you were there was like a. a I put an offer on a house in Eagle Rock. Someone countered and got me up like two or three hundred thousand more than I wanted to spend. But at that point, I realized, okay, if I want a house in LA, you're just going to have to spend a certain amount of money. And I actually ended up winning the bid, and then we did a home inspection, which, by the way, costs like eight hundred to a thousand dollars every time you do a home inspection. And they found a lot of things wrong with it, and I canceled escrow. And it actually ended up being a blessing because uh, I don't like Eagle Rock; the place sucks. <laughs> I thought I liked it. I thought it was something that like an up and coming. Well, it, it is. I right? thought it was something that it wasn't, and I didn't take enough time exploring. And then in the few times I drove over there to take care and see what is going on at the house, I was like, oh, I don't really like this area. I'm not sure. It was an amazing view. Yeah. House was awesome, but it just had like a backed up sewage drain, which was going to cost 30 grand to fix because it went all the way out into the street and all this other shit. I'm like, you guys, no thanks. Yeah. And now your place is really, really great. Yeah. Well, my realtor kicked ass. I had two or three weeks before I had to move out of my condo because it had already sold. And he's like, you know, I think I know something you'd like. 
and uh, he took me to this place in Los Feliz, and I was like, "This is awesome." Yeah. So there was a there was a period of time where you your house was the house that you were selling escrow was closing, and then you didn't have a house to move into. Right. And all that was going down while we were finishing Infinity War. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't. That was very very stressful. Worst case scenario, you could have always slept in your office. Oh yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I guess there is a shower at work in the building seventy eight, huh? Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, was did you ever sleep in your office at any point when we were in Atlanta? Um just because of No. No. I think one time I I, I came in early because I wanted to get a head start mm-hmm. on dailies. And we all ended up coming in early. Remember that day? <laughs> What day was that? There was a day where we had to prep reference for set. And I'm like, I'm going to get a head start in the day. I came in early. I came in. You guys came in early, too. <laughs> You're all, we're all there way too early. Oh, I, yeah. Okay. I think I remember that. Mm-hmm. I've definitely been hung over at work before. Oof. Oh, I could not. I could not imagine. I could not imagine doing that job. Not at 100%. It sucks. <laughs> Especially when you, you don't feel right till like one or two after you've eaten a big lunch. And then you've got about a four hour window of feeling kind of normal. And then you're just tired the rest of the day. It's awful. I think that drinking culture is pretty big in uh, Hollywood type jobs. Because it's so intense. I mean, your job is to sit at a desk all day. And you just removed your chair from your office, right? You were pretty much just well, standing. I was having back pains. Yeah. And I figured out there's two keys to fixing that a standing obviously and the other is having really comfortable shoes yeah if i wore flats like not flats but just like like flat shoes yeah exactly flat shoes then my feet would hurt which would then in turn hurt my back for some reason and then in turn hurt your mind and then in turn yeah it all just comes crumbling down yeah and then you would yell at us and then we would yeah i'm a real yelling And then our feet would hurt, and it just—I don't really cycle. yell. I just have uh, inner anger that comes out in passive-aggressive, kind of intense ways. It just gives you the—you can feel my the tension. Well, I don't I've never been a yeller. You know, you don't yell. You just—I'll yell you, at loved ones. You just get straight to the point, <laughs> <laughs> but not coworkers. No, you're very straight to the point, which, yeah. in hindsight, I appreciate because it's like there's no bullshit. It's just like. I've well, never, why is this done? Let's do it. Do I've it always been a person that people either love or hate. There's no real in between. But I don't, I'm not trying to be rude with people, but I can see how it would come across that way sometimes. I just don't like. Well, you don't sugarcoat anything. I don't sugarcoat things, yeah. So it's not like, right. hey, do you mind maybe doing this? And it's like, no, like, where is this? Why, I was why, also, why wasn't that right? That was also, <laughs> I don't think if I was going to do that movie over again, now that I'm more experienced, I think there'd be less of that just because a lot of that was just my own um, nervousness about figuring out what my job was. Because like I, you know, you learn through osmosis and watching people work, but I didn't have uh, the opportunity to watch my first doing every little aspect of their job. I was doing my job. So, you know, a lot of it was making up on the fly. So a lot of that was just me reflecting my own stress. Um, Sorry. It's okay. We made it through. Yes. <laughs> and it really it really wasn't that bad. No. I mean, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, you could have just been a straight up asshole like the entire time. That's the thing. Like in these jobs, as long as you're not doing anything uh, that breaks company policy or that's illegal, if you're really good at your job, you can get away with all. There's a lot of people out there, and I won't name names, that are complete fucking douchebags. The, and they keep getting hired back because the people that they work for are very powerful and that they do something that makes that person happy, and that's all they care about. I think you were telling me, too, it's like if you just act like you know what you're doing, you have confidence in mm-hmm. what you're doing, even if you don't, mm-hmm. you can go a long way with just that. Fake it till you make Fake it. Fake it till you make it, basically, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I would always be the first person to say, if you don't know something, ask because well, yeah, if you they, move forward on something that you're confident in but don't actually know how to do, it's going to cause a problem for everyone. Yeah. But yes, I know what you mean. Well, I know for, for me... Have the confidence to know your limitations yeah. and ask questions. Yeah, which which I would, but it was also nice knowing like that you would leave me and Hector alone as long as like everything was getting done properly. Well, I think we touched on was. this before. Yeah. I don't want to have to micromanage. I want everybody to know what they're supposed to do and handle it. And I want everybody to be able to scratch each other's back. So if there's something that you normally handle and you're away, Hector knows to pick up on it and start doing mm-hmm. it when you're gone. Like that kind of stuff just needs to flow without me right. coming in and be like, did this happen? Did that right. happen? Basically, every time there's a task that needs to get done, I immediately write it down on my notebook, even if it's something simple. 
Like, hey, don't forget to text that person. All right, don't forget to text. Like, it just makes a list. You just and I literally check the list constantly and go, all right, is this something I need to handle? Is this something I need to assign to somebody else? And then if I give it to somebody else, I'll write that person's name next to the task on my thing, so I know to check in with that person later. Yeah, that's it. And then if Jeff comes in your room, weren't you recording him at some point just because he come in? Here's the thing about Jeff: you'll go in there, go, hey, can I? Can you? Can, can I talk to you for a second? And you think, oh, I don't need to write. I'll just bring a notepad and write down what he says. And like he starts going, can you do this? Can you do this, that? Oh, actually, also do this and do that and do that. And I realized really quickly, holy shit, I can't keep up with this. And so I talked to Matt, who used to first firm for a long time. I said, what do you do? And he's like, I just started recording because like, there's no way I can keep up with what he's saying. And so I'm like, all right. So I would just hit record on my iPhone and I'd let Jeff talk and I'd figure it out later. I wouldn't waste his time going, wait, also this? or Because that's what I was doing when I was writing. I'd be like, oh, no, wait, wait, hang on. You said this, but this? So i just let him talk and talk and talk and get it out. And then i go back to my room and i play it back and write down everything. Very push, play, pause, play, pause, write down everything. Mm-hmm. And that ended up being invaluable. I still do that to this day. And then I delete it, Jeff. I don't keep it, okay? <laughs> There's no awkward recordings of you out there. <laughs> um, Is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of uh, the movie? I feel like we've gotten kind of personal. We're talking about my watches and yeah, homes yeah. here. Um, Everybody knows my financial backgrounds now. Well, since we're talking about like uh, lines in the movie, yeah. Um, so the the I am Iron Man uh-huh. line, uh, I think it's pretty well known now that it, it came about in the cutting room, and actually Jeff suggested it, which mm-hmm. I think is awesome. And mm-hmm. the Russo brothers are giving him credit, which is awesome mm-hmm. um, because Jeff deserves a lot more credit than he's given uh, mm-hmm. with these movies. Mm-hmm. But. Um, there were also a lot of alternate lines to that. And I don't know if you remember any of them. There was I one do. that you didn't, was, there was one that you liked over the others, right? Mm-hmm. That never made it into the cutting room or never made it into the final cut. Uh, which one was that? You're so fucked. Snack. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was uh, awesome. That was like his diehard. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about that though. I think so. You might want to get, here's a note, get confirmation if we're allowed to talk about stuff we're not supposed to know. I think it's okay. Okay. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. You know, Big Brother Disney is going to come knocking on my door and be like, oh, Barry. Yeah. <laughs> which Barry was actually in one of the movies, which was great. He Barry was in was the security guard in uh, Captain Marvel. Yeah. yeah and he, he did a great job. Yeah. Yeah, and he, he distributed all those amazing posters with his autograph to everybody. Yeah, you have one of those. I do. I have, yeah. it, I have it hanging in my house. It also says, if you see something, say something on it. Yeah, which is <laughs> which is perfect. Yeah. And I remember they had, uh, like when we were shooting in Atlanta, uh-huh. because security was so tight that they had like these geo trackers. If you took a picture on set and happened to post it online and tagged the area that you're in, it would mm-hmm. ping this geo tracker and then security would come after you. Yeah, they have people whose job it is to prowl the internet looking for people doing that stuff. On Iron Man 3, someone posted a picture from set, like some low-level employee, and they got fired right away, straight out of college. Um, but the next day, I, was, I decided to mess with Barry, <laughs> and I took a image in a paint program, and I filled it full of green, and I posted it as... Uh, Rare, rare exclusive leak footage from Iron Man 3 on the set. It's just a green blob. <laughs> I'm sure you love that one. Yeah. Well, I, uh, so back on Avengers 1, the Joe Rogan Experience podcast was becoming uh, a thing. It was nowhere near as popular as it is today, but I was listening to it religiously. And there was this guy on there named Brian Redband, who was his co host. And I wanted to thank him for all the hard work that he's he was doing to make these podcasts come out. So I got in touch with him. I said, Hey, do you want some Marvel swag? And so I sent him an Avengers hat from the VFX plate crew and he was wearing it on the podcast. Like his, he had his own uh, desk squad podcast. He still does is, is he was wearing it on his desk squad podcast and on Joe Rogan's podcast. And they actually, uh, I heard Barry times like, we got to find out where he got this hat and all this stuff. I'm like, they, they found out about that. That's crazy. 
So I ended oh, up telling him, like, fun. dude, I just sent in the hat. I'm allowed to do that. He was like, oh, yeah, you are. We were just a little surprised to see it out there. I'm like, okay, great. I wonder so how he I found didn't. out about that. I have no idea. Didn't Red Band, like, give you a little shout-out? or Like, oh, uh, I got a not, fan. Not though. by name. He yeah. Just, but, yeah, he said uh, the fans are bringing some cool shit. Check this out. I actually took Red Band to the, the cast and crew screening of Avengers 1. No, what mm-hmm. shit. That's cool. Yeah. Huh. You guys boys now? No, we actually texted back and forth a couple times. Like he would text me sometimes around Comic Con. Like, are you at Comic Con? I'm like, nope. He's like, okay, <laughs> but that's it. I'm sure he's changed his number by now. Like, so. you got any more swag? Nope. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, for people who are who are looking to get into the industry, what would be your advice that you can give to them starting out that maybe they could uh, yeah make keep sure in their back you pocket? have a family member that works in the industry first. Six to eight, you you make in short all films. Serious, and, no, in all seriousness, though. No. Uh, that obviously helps tremendously if you know someone that's already in. Yeah, there's no real avoiding it. My my dad, uh, when I graduated college, um, recommended me for a PA position at a post house he used to work for, and because of his reputation there, they said, "Oh, we'd love to interview your son," and that gave me a huge leg up. There's no doubting it. Um, but if you don't have that. Go to a really good school that has connections, like UCLA. Or if if I could have gone to any film school and I knew what I knew now, I'd go to USC. Mm-hmm. You're going to meet people there that are going to do really cool things, or at least you'll get to interact with people that are doing really cool things, and it will give you a big leg up. Um, if you can't do that, just work your ass off. Go find your bottom tier position and really, really, really uh, work your ass off and make yourself valuable. The more valuable you are to people, the more you'll be used simple yeah and don't think that anything is below you in the beginning hell ever yeah (laughs) because if you can't take a pa job seriously and we pick up on it then we know you're not going to ever succeed in this industry because you have to tolerate a lot of shit it never ends Mm -hmm. and And you can't even deal with getting someone coffee and because there's you know just as many monotonous tasks when you move up to an assistant. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you can't handle a basic coffee order or whatever, how are you going to be able to handle, like, I don't know, just turning over a reel, you know, where you're, you're just not. like kind of, you're not for like, a, you know, 20 minutes or whatever. Yeah, you're not. So, you're not. and we pick up on that because I think one thing people don't realize when they're first coming into like a cutting room is those small breaks that we get from like, oh, there's like, donuts out in yeah. the lobby or like lunches here like it's it means that we have an excuse to step away from our computer that we've yeah. been tied to for well, you know beyond, almost beyond years, that anyone hours. in any kind of position in la has paid their dues and if you're not paying yeah. your dues in a way that uh is acceptable then it's insulting to you because right. you're like i remember when i was that and i worked way harder than that person why should i why should i help this person out well that's true. It's That's basically being a PA is just a giant test to see if you're going to be able to handle the next step. There's no denying that those positions suck. They're supposed to suck, but they're a test and they're impo- They're an important test. It's a vetting. And if you don't love what you're doing enough to push through that, then you're never going to make it to the next step. You know, you grow a thick skin. You do. I used to be like, I mean, I'm still a little thin skinned to a degree, but like much less than I used to be because this is part of growing older as well. I'm trying to think if there's any other like behind the scenes stuff that we could talk about. Behind the scenes. Um, I mean, you'd think after working on project for so long. Well, it, it really depends on what we can and cannot talk about. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. You know? Right. What are your, what are your uh, ultimate... I mean, because this is just as much about editing in this lifestyle as it is about these movies. Uh, yeah. What are your ultimate goals for your future? You want to cut, yeah? Yeah, eventually. Yeah. Um, that's but, always a tricky thing with our, what we do because we're assistant editors and most of us want to be picture editors. Mm-hmm. But the road to being that, especially at this level, is so complicated and weird. And the other thing is, uh, in some instances, you can make more money as an assistant editor on these big films than you can as a picture editor on most other things. So you start getting the golden handcuffs and that dream of becoming a picture editor starts to fade away quickly. I'm kind of in that position right now where I'm I'm trying to be a picture editor as much as I can, but I got to pay the bills like anybody else. So. 
Yeah, and I also feel like the industry is changing so fast as far as like the projects that are coming out mm -hmm. and kind of the, the, the big tentpole movies are only, you know, they, basically they're not going to trust like some young up and coming editor to cut like a, you know, $250 million movie. Sure, I wouldn't either. You know, it's almost like you have to have, you know, the experience behind you, which obviously makes sense, but also seeing what Jeff and Matt went through, you know, you think about, is that how I want to? spend my time also, you know, I think that's a factor. Like you have to really be passionate about what you're doing because you're going to be completely consumed. If you don't absolutely love this, don't do it. Yeah. Because you're going to be miserable. Mm -hmm. You're going to lose contact with your family. You're going to, a lot of your relationships are going to fail. And it's all because of pursuit of this craft that eats up most of your life. I've, I've lost, let's see. Before I married my wife, I had th three girlfriends, serious girlfriends, that were with me since I started in this industry, and I lost all of them. And a, not the only reason, obviously, but a big part of that reason is because I was working too much. That's how it goes. So she figured out, you know, living a life of happiness is more important to her than pursuing this crazy goal. And look, I get it. There's times where I've thought about quitting. Yeah. It's pretty overwhelming, you know? There's times where you're like, why am I doing this day after day? And then you get to cut a scene and you're like, oh, that's why. Yeah. Or you see a movie released and the people reacting to yeah. it in the audience and you're like, oh, that's why. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's Seeing what keeps people you react going. to stuff that you had a part in uh, creating artistically is, is awesome. That's one of the cool things about our job is once the movie's over, you have an option. Do you go find another job or do you not? Yeah. Do you want to take off a long period of time or don't you? Not a lot of people get that opportunity. I like it. I like taking months off at a time. Yeah, because we're basically uh, contract workers. you know. Yeah. So once our contract's up, I mean, we could not come back if we don't want to. I mean, it's yeah. almost like every job you have... The chance to the, recycle. To reset your yeah. life if you want mm -hmm. to. I mean, uh, we had our old first Cassie. Who mm -hmm. oh, I miss. I yes. miss you, Cassie. Come back to California already. But she decided after the first uh, Avengers, or after Infinity War, that she was done. Yeah, she just had enough. I mean, there was she a lot of factors involved. having a family but, yeah. and, a, and a life, and I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what else? Um, I feel like there's a lot of things that happened. We were there a year and a half. Well, a year in Atlanta. Um, Ooh, Wakanda. Yeah. We should talk about Wakanda, maybe. You were on set for Wakanda, yeah. pr providing reference. Correct. And Why was know, I doing that? I think because Hector and I were just... Stuck on first unit back at... Because I was on second unit with Sam. I don't think it was even that. I think it was just we were doing dailies. I think we just needed... We needed another person. We needed Hector. That's the crazy thing, is we did this with a team of four people. Yeah. We could quite easily be one of the smallest crews on that set. We did two movies of this size back-to-back -back with four people. Four assistants. Yeah. Lots of VFX editors, obviously. But Yeah, how many did we have? We had like five or six at some point. Yeah. At least. The VFX on these movies are insane. But I just remember you had to go provide reference on set mm -hmm. while they were uh, shooting Wakanda. And basically they were shooting Wakanda in like a field mm -hmm. that was next to the cutting room. and or it, No, well, it was in Fayetteville. But it was just a mud pit. Yeah. And I, th I remember you, you like sent a photo out and you were sitting in like a chair and you were just it covered. It was sinking into mud. Yeah. yeah. And, the and I didn't wear the right shoes that day either. I needed shoes that were had a waterproof outside to them. But I did not know that was going to happen. So I showed up in like netted sneakers yeah and that and was socks were all wet i terrible. think that was the first time we shot wakanda because i think we had reshoots of wakanda i feel like infinity war and endgame were basically reshot like three times <laughs> parts of it yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. um oh so black panther hadn't come out yet mm -hmm. and i remember we we had a a, a test screening and the scenes of, of black panther yeah would come up and there you know there was a little reaction yeah but then Black Panther comes out and we would have a test screening and there'd be a standing ovation. Yeah. And I just remember that like nobody predicted kind of the, the cultural impact that Black right. Panther was going to have. Yeah. And we kind of saw it as it was happening because like I said, prior to release, nobody, everybody was kind of like, oh, okay, it's Black Panther. And then after the release, mm. 
in our test screens, people just went nuts. Yeah. And then it just kept growing and growing and growing. And it was just really cool to know that we were there since kind of the beginning. Because they, they showed up in, in February to start shooting of 2017. Mm-hmm. We were already in Atlanta. Yeah. And, in and Ant-Man 2 came and went while we were there. Ant-Man too. 2 came and went. Yeah, that's yeah. right. These movies generally take three to four months to shoot. Yeah. Generally. Ultron was longer because we had this secondary sequence in South Africa, but that's an unusual situation. Um, but this movie, uh, both of them took six months around. Yeah, it was crazy. There's a lot going on in those sets. And we had mocap too, which if you ever work on a movie with motion capture, uh, good luck to you. Because it yeah. creates a level of sophistication that you will oh. never be able to understand until you do it. I still have PTSD from that. Oh, so awful. Just knowing like... We have a mocap day, and just knowing what there were so is in many for me too. after. There were like a hundred and something of them. And then that one day where it's like we had a pickup day with Josh Brolin, and we had to try to get all the outstanding footage of him in mm-hmm. like one day, and it was like yeah. a twelve-hour day, and you're mm-hmm. just like, oh god. I was on the set for almost all of those. Yeah, I think we that, had to create these really complex string outs with all this metadata associated with them to, you know, so everybody there knew what they were doing, and uh, yeah, we had to have me and Jeff would be on set, and I'd have to shuttle through the scenes and play them back over and over and over. And And that's the other thing that I think we touched on earlier, but security was so tight that, I mean, literally we'd show up to set with a laptop Mm -hmm. with the, the reels of the movie on it. Mm -hmm. And it's like only us, Jeff and like, um, Castaldi Mm -hmm. and maybe the directors Mm -hmm. have seen any of this footage. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as you like open up the laptop, there'd just be like a crowd forming yeah. around and you. And then we d- eventually had to have security come. Everybody has to stand over there in the corner. Uh, yeah. It's just so ridiculous. Like a lot of like closed sets and stuff. And, yeah. Which actually put me in a lot of cool situations. I'm not going to lie. Like yeah. I felt pretty cool. Like when they'd call for a closed set and then mm. I was able to stay. And then yeah. all of a sudden. I'm part just, of this elite uh, squad yeah. of people. <laughs> and then it's just like me, the directors, Jeff, yeah. and, and like a few of the actors. And they're like yeah. looking at my laptop and. Yeah, I'm like trying not to shake because my You're, adrenaline is just editorial like Editorial people are some of the only people that get to actually watch the movie every day and it's it's close to final form. Yeah, and seeing it evolve. and mm-hmm. um, We've seen every scene and take. Well, especially you and Hector have seen every scene and take. We've seen every version of every cut. We yeah. got to see the movie, how it went from the editor's assembly to the director's cut to each little significant pass before they show the studio. Uh, again, and then each preview version, and then the actual final version, which we get to see all the VFX stack up for it too, and become the final thing with the final mix. It's pretty cool. And what I enjoyed is that you know, be going through the cut, and everything makes sense. You're like, oh wow, this movie's doing mm-hmm. doing great. And all of a sudden, Jeff will make some cut or mm-hmm. like change the scene around, and mm-hmm. you're like, oh my god, that makes so much more sense. Like yeah. you had no idea until now. Yeah. You actually saw it in action. You're like, wow. Yeah. And so that was really cool to see. And like, oh, wow, there's a new VFX shot, and I want to see what that looks like. And Yeah. I love hearing the sound, too, as it's coming oh, out. Oh, yeah. Skywalker did amazing. Yeah. Shannon show. and his oh, team are God. incredible. That's yeah. the other thing about working on these movies. You get to work with the best of the best people in the industry, and you get to see masters at work every day. It's awesome. That's a good point. Yeah. This recorder's been like, the battery bar has been at like one, but yeah. I'm just riding it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, does it... Well, maybe hit stop and hit record again so that file writes out and it doesn't turn off while it's mid-recording. Okay. You want to go get a coffee? Like a real one? Yeah. Yeah, let's go get a coffee. Yeah. I have a, there's a blue bottle right down the street, there's actually. There's a blue bottle. Have you been to Maru Coffee? Ooh, Maru's good, too. They have a spiced cold brew there. Have you ever had that? No. It's fucking awesome. All right. Well, let's go get some coffee. Let's. I think that's a good enough time to, to wrap it up. Okay. Oh, my brain. Boop.